Thank you, Rick. Brenda, we'll be preaching again from Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Two events that happened that the people standing around would, would admit that either one of them seemed to be so uh, impossible, so um, unimaginable, that uh, the gospel writers paired them together. We want to look at the first of these events, and that's, of course, the healing of the paralyzed man. There's quite a few things that we want to look at here that apply to us as a church. And if it applies to us as a church, that means it applies to us as church members, uh, as individuals. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately they gathered together so that there were no, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. When they could not come near to him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. How it happened that he was dining in Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us about Jesus. And Father, help us to learn the things about Jesus and about ourselves, and about our needs, of what we need to be and what we need to do as a church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The first statement is this. He entered the Capernaum. After some days it was heard that he was in the house. Well, whose house? We understand by looking at chapter 1, verse 21, they went out into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and taught. In verse 29, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon 
and Andrew with James and John. This was the house of Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter's house. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. She was in the same house. So we know it belonged to Simon Peter and his extended family was there. Now the last time he was there, a crowd had gathered up. In verse 32 and 33, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered around the door. So we know the last time they were there, that day that he came from the synagogue, there was a whole crowd gathered around the door. Since then, his fame had grown even more. He left there and went to preach around in the area cities. While he was preaching in the area cities, he healed a leper. And he told the leper not to say anything to anyone, but to go show yourself to the priest, first and foremost. Verse 45 says this, However, he, the leper, went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. They came to him from every direction. So we understand his fame had grown to the point where he couldn't go into a town. He would go into a town and the crowd would be so great that it would start causing trouble in the town. And if you've ever been to some of those little towns and the excavations, the, the little streets are very narrow. So he would go out into deserted places and people would go out to him there. And scholars agree that he wanted to very quietly come into Capernaum and slip into Peter's house, Simon's house, get some rest. But the word of mouth spread the news. Jesus is in that house. And you see, Jesus being in that house attracted people from all over. They wanted to be near Jesus. He's in that house, and people were attracted to him from all over. This morning we talked about Jesus being accused of being a friend of the sinners and publicans, the tax collectors. That's the scripture along with that said, and sinners and publicans, many of the sinners and publicans, drew near to Jesus to hear him. You see, Jesus attracted people who needed him the most. And you see, Jesus was in the house, and it was worded abroad, it says, that Jesus was in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, people will come. And see, that's the first thing we notice as a church, our goal is to make sure it can be said at Bristol Baptist Church, Jesus is in that house. How can it be said that Jesus is in this house? When Jesus is in these hearts. And when Jesus is in these hearts, Jesus is in the house. When Jesus is in the house, things are going to happen. People are going to come. And people feel the love of Christ in our lives, and they feel the love of Christ in here, and Jesus is in the house. People will come. Now, it's always good to have programs, the Awana program, Bible school, different things. 
But the most important thing we need to have is Jesus. And Jesus in our hearts and Jesus in the house. Second thing we notice, a man with many wonderful blessings. That's the man on the blanket. That's the man on the pallet. You say, wait a minute, man, this guy couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. He was so paralyzed he had to be carried everywhere he went. What do you, what do you mean he had wonderful blessings? Before Jesus pronounced him healed and forgiven, he already had some wonderful blessings. First of all, he had four friends with persistent faith. Before he got to that house, God blessed him with four friends that believed Jesus could do this. They believed it. They believed it with all their heart. Now, how do you know they believed it? First of all, they interrupted their schedule to carry him to that house. That wasn't on their agenda. Word got out, hey, hey, Jesus in the house. Jesus in the house, town, and he's back at Simon's house. So right then and there, they dropped what they were doing. I don't know what they were doing. They dropped what they were doing, and they said, we're going to carry him to there. Because we know if we can get him to there, Jesus can make a change in his life. They believed he could do it, so they interrupted their schedule. Business as usual was dropped, and they made a deliberate effort to carry somebody to Jesus. We know from personal experience, serving Jesus does not happen on our way to do something else or while we're doing something else. True service for Jesus is always a deliberate thing. We decide that's what we're going to do. It doesn't happen by accident while we were trying to do something else. They deliberately interrupted their schedule, and we'll have to interrupt ours to carry somebody to Jesus and share Jesus with somebody. And we have to interrupt our schedule, our own personal business, to see that the work of his church takes place. They had to really believe that Jesus could do this to take the effort to get along. They had to get along to work together to bring him to Jesus. Now, I don't know about these guys, but I know that everybody's different. People have different ideas about maybe what street they wanted to go on. People had different ideas about how they wanted to do this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they had different political ideas. I'm not sure about that. They were probably all Jewish men. But it takes effort to get along because sometimes people are just not going to do it our way. They're not going to think like we think. And so we all get together here to try to take care of the work of the Lord, and all of a sudden, there's some disagreements because people have different ideas about methods and opinions and all these kind of things. And it takes effort. And you read through the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, and you realize he mentions that a lot. So we realize that the early church had to make a deliberate effort to get along. Working together and getting along takes effort. But they believed Jesus could do this, and two things drove them to get along. And when these, these things are priority in our life, we'll get along, and we'll work together. Number one, they love their friend. And their love for this guy enabled them to work together despite any differences that they have. And we really love people and really love the lost and really love 
these kids and really love the people in our community, we'll work together. Number two, they believe Jesus can make a change. It takes effort to get along when we really, really believe Jesus can make a change. We'll make the sacrifices, we'll make the concessions, we'll take the compromises, and we'll get along and work together to make sure that people come in contact with Jesus because we know, we know that he can make a change in their lives. So it's worth the effort. And then they had to go the distance. Met up with the challenge. Little old narrow streets. Then they got there, guys, just will go home. Oh, look at that crowd. Look at that crowd. Just forget it. Just forget it. We, we can't even get in the door. No, they believed Jesus could make a change. So they came up with a plan. They came up with a plan. They knew how that roof was put together. And they said, if we can get up there and let him down, we'll just go over the crowd. So that's what they did. We'll always run into some obstacles when it comes to church work, when it comes to the work of what we need to do. There'll be an obstacle. There'll be a challenge. Things didn't turn out or it's going to require some extra work or we didn't plan on this. They loved their friend and they believed Jesus could do it. So when time came, they had to take the extra effort to go through the roof they did. So they had friends with a persistent faith. Secondly, that a host who valued souls over shingles. The host was Simon Peter, and they tore up his roof. Here's how they were made together. They were, they were made together with beams, and they were beams that were closer together than these beams, and over these beams would be smaller, like slats, and over those sometimes would be like twigs and so forth, I suppose, for insulation. They might just lay some tiles on them. Well, they weren't hammered and nailed together as such, but they were kind of laid up on the beams. They knew that this, would, this was how that was put together. And houses had a flat roof, and there was a patio up there. They could, they could get up there and sit on their roof. Well, they got up there, and they started pulling the tiles up. They pulled the tiles up, they started pulling the slats up, they started pulling the twigs up and all that stuff. And Peter was in that house. And Peter saw what they were doing. And Peter saw they were tearing up his roof. Now Peter could have thrown a fit. Ah, uh, uh, no, not this house, no way. And I know that Peter was married. Why? Because he had a mother-in-law. So you have to have a wife before you have a mother-in-law, and it says Peter's wife's mother. Peter was married. So there's a woman of the house, and they're seeing all this stuff fall all over her floor. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I cleaned up this floor, and these people already tracked it up anyway. Look at all these people in here. Now you're tearing up the roof, and you got stuff all over my floor. But you know what? Jesus was in the house. And when Jesus was in the house, it was something a lot more important than whoever the host were, whether Simon Peter, Mrs. Simon Peter, whoever it was, they valued the work that was going on more than they valued the building. You know, at times, reaching souls means a lot of activity in the building, doesn't it? Yeah, most of you people are here on Wednesday night. When you get 80 kids in a building, 
It's hard on the building. And did you realize for 22 years we've had close to 200 people every Sunday in and out of this building? It's hard on the building. And when a lot of those people are kids, it's doubly hard on the building. You, you know what that means? That means there's a lot of wear in the carpet. There's chips in the paint. There's bumps in the walls. There's stains on the floor. There's handprints on the glass. But you know what that means? It means Jesus is in the house and things are happening. Now, we take every effort to take as care of the building as we can. But, man, when there's, when there's chips in the wall and things are smudged and so forth, it just means there's a lot of little hands here. And I can remember a, a statement that was made when we got our new bus. We got our new bus. Oh, it was so pretty and shiny, and everybody loved the new bus. I was proud of the bus, still am. Took it down to Cortez, Colorado, doing a church camp, and it rained the day we went over there. And that dirt just turned into slick like paint, and we had to take the bus down into the church camp. And I can remember driving around, and the back end of the bus was drifting around, and it was just splattering paint everywhere, uh, mud everywhere. And I remember one thing we did not ask about our bus if we could get a four-wheel drive bus and we really needed that bus but I remember coming out of that camp and seeing dirt all over the bus it was covered looked like we'd been mudding in it I mean it was really it was quite impressive and a statement was made this bus is a tool not a trophy this building is a tool. And I'm proud of our building, but man, sometimes it's tough on equipment when you have things going on for Jesus. And that's what happened to this house. But isn't that something? This guy had a lot to be thankful for. He had friends who loved him enough and they believed in Jesus enough they would carry him through town. He had people like that. And he had a host who valued souls. I pray that we can uh, be those kind of friends to folks. Oh, it's good to have those kind of friends, isn't it? Let's be those kind of friends. And then we have a, a Savior with an eye on eternity. Now, we spoke this morning that he saw the real problem. The real problem was sin. So that's the eternal problem. He could have given him strength in his legs and enabled him to walk, but this man would have still had a problem for all eternity. It had just been a temporary thing. You see, the popular belief at that time, and that's what Jesus knew what people were thinking because he knows what's in our hearts. The popular belief is all sickness. If you're sick, you are being punished for a specific sin. We're not talking about general sin, that sickness comes because when Adam and Eve messed up and all this came into the world and it's a broken world. But in John chapter 9, verse 2, you remember when the disciples asked him, there's a man that was blind since birth, and they said, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, whose fault is this? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, do you realize what they just said? That who, sinned, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So that would mean he had to sin before he was born. They don't even know what they're saying sometimes because they believe it's got to be somebody's fault. Somebody sinned, and that's the reason he's blind. So... 
Everybody believed that if you had a big problem and you were sick or you had a big health issue, it was because you're, you've got something bad going on in your life. That's what they believed. We all know that that's not true, but that's what they believed. So you know what Jesus did? Jesus got straight to the problem because he knew that this man was a sinner. He knew that this man had a sin problem, as we all do. And so he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, before this, notice what it said. Jesus saw their faith. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, wait a minute. We're talking about the faith of these four guys? Well, there were five guys, wasn't there? The man on the pallet. So he saw their faith, and he looked down, and he said, your sins are forgiven you. He saw what others could not. He saw their faith, but he saw this man's need for forgiveness. And he said, your sins are forgiven you. You see, this is important, because whether the man walked another step, his appointment with Jesus was worth everything. Because his eternity was secured. But oh, we have the critics who got more than they ever expected. We pick it up and it says, there were some of the scribes sitting there and they reasoned in their hearts. They didn't even say it to each other. They reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately when Jesus perceived in the spirit their reason within themselves, he said to them, now this is where they begin to get more than they bargained for, and I'm not sure they even realized what was going on. They're thinking this, and Jesus said, what was that you just thought? Oh, why are you thinking this in your heart? Then he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, but to take up your bed and walk? But since you're doubting the fact that I can forgive sins, I'm going to let you have it your way. So that you may know that I have power to forgive sins. He looked at the man and said, get up off that bed, pick it up, carry it home. And he did. He did. They didn't bargain for that. They thought they were just scolding. But they didn't bargain for that. Now... They have undeniable evidence in front of hundreds of witnesses. They challenged him. And in front of hundreds of witnesses, he showed him who he is. And he gave the man strength to walk again. They would later unintentionally admit this. Even when they were trying to deny. You remember this morning we said that even in the harshest criticism they were glorifying Jesus. They said look at him. He welcomes sinners. Look at him. He's a friend of sinners. There's nothing better that can be said of Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. But notice what they said about Jesus. Even when they were denying him while he was on the cross. Luke chapter 23 verse 33. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, 
There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with him sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Now what they wanted people to hear is, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. But what they said and blurted out, they could not deny, and that's the first statement. He saved others. And even the enemies of Christ, watching him on the cross, testified to what Jesus did. He saved others. They couldn't deny it. They saw it. The crowd saw it. The public testified it. It was undeniable. Lame people got up and walked. Blind people saw. Deaf people heard. Lepers were cleansed. All they could say when they looked at him on the cross is this. He saved others. That's the harshest criticism they could come up with. Wow. What a testimony to the glory of God from the enemies of God. And you see, the very enemies of God cannot deny the, the fact that he saved others. This man had many wonderful blessings. And as we come into the holiday season, don't we have blessings? I've got friends with persistent faith, and I'm thankful for every one of them. I want to be that friend of persistent faith as well. And let's go from here, making sure that we show others we really believe Jesus can make a difference in their lives by how we serve the risen Christ. Is there anything before we close?